United Soccer Coaches is proud to bring you the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast, covering all aspects and all levels of the game we love. The United Soccer Coaches podcast is presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer announcer Dean Linky, the longtime television and podcast voice of the association. Now, here's Dean with this week's show. Hello and welcome as we have another great show for you today. We kick off with Greg Winkler, who is the United Soccer Coaches National High School Boys Advocacy Chair, but he's written another soccer book. It is called The Transformational Coach, and it is due out this weekend. Greg Winkler breaks down that book and also gets you caught up on what's going on with the high school advocacy folks. After him, we continue our five-part series with the Latino Soccer Coaches Heritage Month. It's part four, and we're joined by Loy Orbina, who's with the Massachusetts Youth Soccer Association by way of Venezuela. You'll like hearing from Loy. Up third, we'll check in on Division II College. They've been pushed to the spring. We're joined by Lake Erie College men's soccer top man, Louis Rocco. Played at Baldwin Wallace, was an assistant coach there for a long time. Now has been the head coach since 2017, and he is getting it done. Big plans coming for Lake Erie College. I think you'll like my time with Louis Rocco. And we'll end with Big Ten and Ten women's soccer, the Iowa Hawkeyes. Dave Diani, who won three titles at Grand Valley State, by the way, now getting it done at Iowa. He is joined by four-time MVP from Iowa, Chloe Lacoste, now playing over in Portugal. Big show, and it starts after this message from our presenting sponsor, Team Snap. Does managing your club or league feel like a second job? If so, you might need some help. With Team Snap, you can get it. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, everything you need is online, which means no more trips to the bank, no more lost checks, and no more colossal spreadsheets. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com to learn more. Team Snap is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. So pleased to be joined by Greg Winkler, a longtime friend to the association. In fact, he's currently the United Soccer Coaches National High School Boys Advocacy Chair. You're talking about a Wisconsin Soccer Hall of Famer as well. He's now getting it done down in Florida, the Florida Southwestern College, the Charlotte campus. We'll get more into his role as the Charlotte High School Head Boys Soccer Coach, but we're here to promote not his first book, but his second book. That's right. He's written two books. His first book speaks nationally on dealing with parents and character-based coaching. It was called Coaching a Season of Significance. The guys that coach through a season from preseason parent meetings to the end of the season banquet. His new book that he just launched is called The Transformational Coach, and it is designed to give coaches the tools to build relationships, move their teams forward, and improve the development of their players as they progress to the next level. The Transformational Coach, Incorporating Mindfulness for Improved Performance, is published by Meyer and Meyer Sport, and it's available now. We'll let Greg tell you where you can get it. But I want a little note here. American youth athletes are banding athletics at an alarming rate, with 70% of children dropping out of youth sports programs by the age of 14. One of the top reasons for this dropout rate is poor coaching. Yet only 30% of youth high school coaches have any formal training. Coach Winkler believes with better coaching, the youth participation crisis in the United States can be addressed, and the negative parent perceptions can be fixed. This book will develop strong coaches who will lead the way. Greg Winkler, thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Dean. Yeah, I want to get into this book. Before we do, one of the quotes that is associated with your email address says, Coaches have the power to not just teach players to win on the field, but to teach our young men and women to win at life. That's the core of who you are, isn't it? Yeah, I think that sums it up pretty well. I've always wanted to be a coach that the players can rely on and come to, and I wanted our relationship to go much farther than a couple years playing for me in high school. All right, well, let's dive into this, the transformational coach, and let's dive into the brain part of it as well. Let's start with that because that's pretty unique. Tell us uh, why that's so important to understand. So when I proposed this book to uh, Meyer Meyer, my initial thought was John Wooden has this uh, pyramid of success. Most people know what it is, regardless of what sport you're coaching. You've heard of Wooden and his pyramid. And I thought, that's an athlete-based pyramid. And I thought, what are we doing for coaches? What is the path 
for coaches to get to that peak level. As I thought about it and was trying to draw the pyramid out, mindfulness is kind of a big buzzword now in business. If I can incorporate mindfulness in coaching and what it truly means to be mindful, then maybe a brain would be better. So I took my idea to a graphic designer that I know, Nicole Doltris, and I said, this is what I want. What it is basically is the brain represents everything, so there's really no pyramid. There are different areas of that you want to stimulate and eventually, hopefully, be able to be hitting all of them. But I have, you know, the brain stem is your pathway, like how did you start? Most people, it's desire to lead or playing experience brought them to coaching or passion for the sport brought them to coaching. But then you can go, like, two ways. You can go to where you're truly going to be a transformational coach and, and make changes with students' lives and with the game, possibly. Or you can go another direction and kind of get in a regressive mindset and just kind of stop. And I use the old authoritative kind of coach, the transactional coach, the Mike Ditka's my way or the highway kind of coach or the laissez-faire guy that they start coaching because they played the sport and they want to keep playing and they coach and play at the same time and they're they're more of a friend of the players and while both of them can be effective usually there's a point where you just aren't effective anymore and you end up leaving the profession and I think all of us probably have been in those areas a little bit here and there but to truly make a difference in players' lives and people's lives, I think that you need to have a growth mindset and look at all the other pieces like relationships and being open-minded and being communicative with not only your players but your parents, your community. I think the brain kind of just represents all these different areas that you can look at and constantly improve on. And you can't do them all at once usually, especially when you're first starting out. So I talked about being self-reflective at the end of the season and what went well and where should I work on and how can I be more effective? Greg Winkler, author of The Transformational Coach. So i got to ask you, what does transformational mean to you? It means that you're transforming lives. Steve Kerr is my example of one of the – my son works for the Warriors, so I pay a lot of attention to them, and he's had a lot of success. And I look at some of his practices and things that he does, and he's transformed the game. He's had players that he's allowed to help transform the game. But he's also transforming them as individuals, and – if you look at his teams and the way they respond, and, and I think that we can do that at our level, and we can do that with our kids especially, is getting them turned on to being good individuals. I talk about character a lot, and we emphasize that a lot, and I think strong character can help turn programs around and keep them successful for a long time. It's your second soccer book. I see you've also written a book called Welcome to Florida, but knowing that you're still coaching, yes, you left this concert you're down in Florida and enjoying the sunny skies, but how hard is it to write a book, Greg? Can you walk us through that? Well, the first one, Coaching a Season of Significance, I had this goal in mind, and I had an idea, and I just couldn't figure out how to publish it. So I went through a, a thing called Create Space on Amazon. I had somebody help me with the formatting to get it uploaded, and, and you know, it was okay, but it wasn't a real publisher, and did a lot of promotion myself, and then I took that book, though, and went to Meyer & Meyer at one of the soccer conventions. I gave them a copy, and I said, this is my idea. I'd like to redo this book, and I'd like to redo it as a non-soccer book and do it for coaches. And Meyer & Meyer took a look at it, and they got back to me, and they said, we like it. We'd like you to add some to it, but we want to keep it soccer. We want to keep it that niche market. That's what they're good at. So we did it. I published it. I want my message, the message to help improve youth and to help have kids involved longer period of time, it needs to be in more than just soccer coaches' hands. So when they put a soccer ball on the cover, like I read everything. Coach K writes a book, I'm going to read it. I read any book that's written by basketball or football or anybody. I'll read the book if it's got something leadership value for me and can help improve my program. So I feel like a lot of coaches see the cover of coaching of significance with a soccer ball on it and I know a lot of my football peers they won't pick it up because there's a soccer ball on it and the book is not about it's I'm using soccer as a base but I, it's not about soccer it's about how to run a team and what areas you can do to improve the perception all this stuff then we moved to Florida and my wife and I just did a book about our experiences and that took a couple years but again we didn't have a publisher for that it's not a book that Meyer Meyer will publish we went through some publishing house where you pay a fee and 
I mean, it's been good, but there was a cost up front. We have to try to get our cost back by selling that book. So Welcome to Florida was more fun, and I still have this need to get some information out to coaches and help them develop and, and help them with education. And I actually traveled to Germany last summer with one of my sons and my wife, and we visited Aachen, where Meyer Meyer's publishing house is. And I was born there. I never went back there, so that was my mecca back to where I was born. I talked to them about the idea, and that was July. I had a skeleton for them in October. They accepted the book, and then I had to have it done in early March, and it should be, crossing my fingers, should be live on most of the online bookstores and, and possibly in bookstores by the end of this week. So I'm really excited because it's about coaching, and I, and I think it's going to appeal to more than just my soccer base. Hopefully I can start helping get that message across because, like you said at the beginning, it's really disheartening when you work with youth for so long and you see so many of them give up on athletics before they even walk into the high school doors. And I think that there's many reasons for that, and I try to address the coaching and parent one in the book again. So that's kind of the process. Hopefully it does well, <laughs> and I can well, get the message out. Yeah, hopefully the book does well, and hopefully two things happen. Youth participation in this crisis we're having improves, and hopefully we continue the dialogue on increasing the parent perception from negative to positive. Have you seen that from your first book to now, or do you still feel like there is some glowing parent perception problems? Again, I think that we haven't made a big enough impact on the parent thing. I did a presentation a year ago for the Florida Athletic Directors, and I looked at some of the parent statistics and the number of coaches that are stepping away from the game because of the parent encounter. I just talked this weekend. We actually had an in-person soccer conference in the Winter Haven for Florida High School, and I listened to a couple other guys present, and every time they brought up parents, anybody else brought up parents, there was always a negative phone to when they said parents or what happened with parents. And and what I try to get across to coaches and ADs is that I think that we need to look at it totally different. And when I have parent meetings with my kids, I address them just like I do my team. And I tell them definitely at the club level as well. But at the high school level, like these kids' journey, their sport journey for many of them, 98% of them are almost over. So these parents have spent countless hours and family time and money, parting their kids all over the country for whatever sport they do, sending them to camps, going to tournaments, staying in hotels, vacations. I had four boys. Like, everything we did revolved around our club soccer and where we went. And then it was high school season. And so soccer consumed it. But as a parent, you are just as much part of that team as your kid is. And you're going through every high and low with them. And I want my parents to understand that, I want you to be involved in the program, too. There are boundaries, though. I'm the coach, and I'm going to take care of everything that we need to take care of on the field. And by my organization and by my communication, they can see that I have that covered, and they don't have to worry about it. But we try to do a lot of team-building things and have opportunities for kids to do something outside of the game. If they have a connection or financially they can support a bowling night or a kayak trip or something like that, I want them to feel free to offer that, and we'll take advantage of it. But I think part of it is you have to make sure they understand. If I have a little booster club or a parent booster club, I want you involved, but your involvement doesn't affect your kid's playing time or anything like that. So when I'm doing this for every kid on the team, so as a parent, if you want to help us out and you want to get involved, you're doing the same thing. You're doing it for everybody on the team. And a lot of times I'll take the most boisterous parent and the one that may be your biggest critic, and I try to find a job for them. I think in the first book I talked about a parent that yelled and screamed a lot. I found out that they were good at photography, so I asked the guy if he would take pictures of our games, and he would have free reign on the sidelines. The only thing was he could not talk to any players during the game. He could get close, he could take pictures, but there was no conversation, so that also meant his daughter, for example, you you can't go have a conversation with your daughter at halftime. I want you involved. Here's how you can get involved. Here's how you can be close to the action because you want to be there. But now the person's not yelling and screaming because they have a job to do, and they're not influencing some negative behavior in the bleachers. So coaches just have to change their perception of how they look at parents. And you do have to have rules 
I talk about a 24-hour rule. Most people know that when they're at work and something comes across their desk and it infuriates them, you wait 24 hours before you respond. Or you can go ahead and type out that email, but you don't hit send, and then you go back and look at it, and you totally wipe it out and restart. I have a double team rule where if I'm talking to a player, I have an assistant with me if it's a tender subject so that I have support so that the kid can't go home and say something to the parent that's different than what actually was said. And so there's things you can put in place to kind of protect yourself, and we talked about those as well. But like I said, the biggest thing is communication with them and letting them know what's going on and then just finding a way to help them be part of the team because when that kid graduates, they're done and there's going to be an emptiness in their life because for 20 years possibly they've been carting kids around. I mean, I know it. I'm a parent. If I wasn't coaching, I would definitely feel that gap. That's kind of the message that I have with parents. And I think more and more people that listen to that kind of stuff are starting to see where they can make a change in that. We're here with Greg Winkler dropping a new book. We think it'll hit this weekend. Keep your eyes out for the transformational coach incorporating mindfulness for improved performance. Greg Winkler has been a head varsity soccer coach since 1998. covers 31 seasons, both boys and girls. He served in the athletic administration for 15 years, was a youth soccer club president and director for 20 years, a club with youth participation members over 2,000. Coach Winkler heads into his 33rd year of teaching, and his coaching experience took 14 years, including freshman football, freshman JV wrestling, four years as a varsity head track coach, and nine years as the middle school level. And United Soccer Coaches has grabbed onto that experience as you're now the United Soccer Coaches National High School Boys Advocacy Chair. Before I let you go, I wanted you to talk about some of the things you're working on in that role. One of the best things we did as an association was start this advocacy group because we've had some, from all the groups, some really cool things that have taken place. I was elected to the board for a year, and then they changed the whole thing, and we ended up got basically got demoted to the advocacy chair. But I think the advocacy chair has allowed me, has allowed the team that I have underneath me to get more accomplished, actually. The first major thing we did was have a Coach of Significance Award, so we can recognize coaches that are doing great things off the field or with their teams. The big thing we did just recently was we finally got the high school diploma course changed and altered. I'm telling you, Ian Barker and Vince Gansberg, was, they were instrumental in finally getting this thing uh, into a format where more high school coaches could take advantage of it. It used to be a weekend course. Vince put together a, a great online module, and they can do most of the work online. And then we have some, I think there's six sessions they have to do, zooming in with different coaches and, and different topics. I think it's right around $100, so it's really reasonable, and coaches can do it on their own time, which is really important to high school coaches. I know when I was going, finding a week to go to the premier course or the national course or finding a weekend to go do the high school diploma course, was it was always a burden on family and financially, and I think they've done a great job doing that. So we've been working on trying to get that course revamped for a long time, so that was a positive, and and the newest thing we're working on with Lee, Gerald, and the marketing department is we want to, similar to LGBT, they came out with the uh, Play With Pride, and they have the uh, uh, shoestring thing, which has been really popular and brings a lot of attention to diversity and, and acceptance. We want to do something with sportsmanship where we highlight a sportsmanship week during the fall. We do one during the winter, and we do one during the spring. We're finalizing some of those details, so hopefully we can roll it out. The original plan was in the springtime, but with COVID, we're not sure if that's going to be good. So it might be next fall, but we're trying to do something to bring a heightened awareness to sportsmanship. I know that high school sports is supposed to be about sportsmanship, but I don't think we put enough emphasis on it. Some coaches do a really good job, and others, they really don't pay much attention. So none of these things would have been as easily done if it wasn't for an advocacy team, and we're working on making some rule ad adaptations and a lot of little irons in the fire, but it's been really positive, and I can't say enough about the organization. Greg Winkler, the author of The Transformational Coach, a new book that should hit this weekend. Check it out. Greg Winkler, also the United Soccer Coaches National High School Boys Advocacy Chair, doing great things for the association. And, Greg, I feel like I have to end because we're from the same era with the name Greg Winkler, I gotta believe there's been a lot of references to the Fonz, Henry Winkler, right? 
Oh, you know what? It's really kind of cool because, you know, I embraced it because Fonzie was a cool guy, right? So um, <laughs> I would tell people, though, he's not related. I wish he was because I wish I had an uncle that had that kind of money. Um, but it was at least the 10 years ago, maybe maybe a little longer, we had a convention in Baltimore. And my wife went along that time, and we are walking through uh, one of the shop areas down by the water. It wasn't open yet. I think it was Sunday morning. And Fonzie, Henry Winkler, was in the hallway, just him and his girlfriend or wife, and they were looking at some stuff through the window because none of the shops were open. And we walked by and we're going, that's the fun. So I went back and asked him if we could take a picture, told him what my name was, and we took a picture with him, and then we Photoshopped him into our Christmas card that year, and it was just <laughs> it was pretty funny. But that's awesome. I, don't, I don't mind it. I don't mind at all. That guy, I've seen, you know, the work he's done, some of the books that he's written, I wouldn't mind being related to the fonts. <laughs> No, indeed. He's just a little tiny guy, right? Yeah, he's he's shorter than I am, and I thought I was short. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was so cool on Happy Days, bigger than life, in fact, and you are certainly doing big things in your life. The book is called The Transformational Coach. It is expected to hit this weekend. Greg Winkler, thanks for all you're doing as an author and all you're doing for the association. Thank you very much for the time today, Dean. Time well spent indeed. Speaking of time well spent, it's part four of a five-part series with Julio Serrano, the Latino Soccer Coaches Advocacy Group, Heritage Month. The fourth guest is up when we return. It's Loy Orbina, Heritage Month, Latino Soccer Coaches Advocacy Group. Stay with us. High school coaches are presented unique challenges both on and off the field of play. The United Soccer Coaches High School Diploma, now delivered in an all-online format, supplies coaches with the knowledge needed to perform the distinctive role high school coaches play in the development of young players. This updated diploma takes a look at the ongoing duties of the high school coach and how to better prepare them for the responsibilities given to them in that position. For more information or to register, go to unitedsoccercoaches.org education. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. We continue our five-part series in conjunction with Heritage Month and the Latino Soccer Coaches Advocacy Group. Julio Serrano has given us three outstanding guests already, and it's only going to get better today as we're joined by Lori Orbina, who's the Assistant Technical Director for the Massachusetts Youth Soccer Association. He has been a former high school coach, a teacher, and we're so glad that he's with us now, Lloyd. Welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for the invitation. It's a pleasure for me to be here with you. Indeed. Well, first off, it's Heritage Month, and it's a five-part series. And when you think about heritage, what does it mean to you, Lloyd? Heritage to me means background, family, your ancestors. All that makes heritage is what they left for you to follow, the path that they created also means what the dreams that you would like to accomplish because of the past that the people before me created, also the background where we come from, the culture, and if we're talking soccer, is the beautiful and rich culture that we have as Latino people, not only in this country, but in the world as a whole. I know you spent some time with the New Jersey Youth Soccer Association as well, but I kind of want to hear your whole story, Lloyd, where you grew up, how you ended up in New Jersey, how you ended up in Massachusetts. Walk us through that, please. I am Venezuelan. I was born in Caracas, Venezuela. I grew up there, came to the States, ended up in Oklahoma. I went for a while to the University of Oklahoma. I learned English there. And then I went to New Jersey. In New Jersey, I began my career as a youth coach and worked for the New Jersey Youth Soccer Association as an ODP coach, as an instructor. And then from New Jersey, I came back to Massachusetts, did my master's in Springfield College, and also was an assistant coach in Springfield College. And then um, I ended up working with Massachusetts Youth Soccer as an assistant technical director. So in a few words, in a very short time, that is my story. You also spent time as a teacher. Why was that important to you and your growth? In college in Venezuela, I became an engineer. Coming over here, I did not work as an engineer, but there was an incredible need for Spanish teachers. So an opportunity to improve myself and study something different, I became a teacher. I taught for 20 years at the high school and middle school levels. That helped me enormously to be a coach because coaching is in reality teaching. 
of the classroom is a field, a court, where the kids are, where the athletes are. It's really helping those athletes to get better, not only as a sportsman, but also as a human being. That really is so true as you make that comparison to teach, and I'm so glad you did. You heard me mention Julio Serrano already. I'm so proud of the voice he's given to the Latino soccer coaches, how he's amplified what the Latino soccer coaches advocacy group is doing. I really feel like now more than ever he has given the Latino soccer coaches a voice. Can you echo that? Yes, Julio has done a great job so far, and I know that with some things that we still want to develop, he has allowed us to introduce us to the technology, not only to the introduction, but how to use it in order to promote the Latino coaches group, but also the United Soccer Coaches as an association as a whole. I'm really happy of what he's done for the Latino group, but also how he has introduced or helped us introduce people from abroad. We have hold seminars and webinars in which we have coaches from Uruguay, Argentina, Chile, Panama, Guatemala, and Spain in attendance. And that's something that we didn't have before, but it's that introduction into the new modes or ways of how we communicate today, webinars, podcasts, in which adopting those has made the Latino coaching group a more efficient and effective organization for the Latino coaches and other coaches, too, because we have coaches that do not speak Spanish, they speak English, but they have attended those webinars because most of them are in English, a few of them are being in Spanish, but we welcome anyone to come into the group. Yeah, I have seen the webinars, and it's impressive because there's been a consistent flow where it seems like every week, the Latino Soccer Coaches Advocacy Group is putting the foot forward and creating this platform, as you said, incredible, incredible speakers. And I feel like all levels of the game within the Latino Soccer Coaches Advocacy Group, and I'm so pleased, Lloyd, that you said everybody is welcome because you don't need to be Latino to learn. And that's what I love about the Latino Soccer Coaches Advocacy Group. They're creating this platform for your voice, but they're always, always welcoming everybody, right? Yes, because our platform is not only for the Latino coach, but it's a platform in which is mainly for the coach that likes the sport of soccer with a little spice of Latino flavor. Latinos is, is not only one group of people. We have Mexicans, we have Guatemalan, Argentinians, Venezuelans, Colombians, and each of us in our own culture have the, our own spice. But we also need the spice that the United States and Ultimate Pot brings in. And I think that is a perfect combination to have an excellent group of coaches collaborating and sharing ideas in order to make the sports better. And I think that because we do that, we are totally integrating ourselves as the United Soccer Coaches Organization philosophy and mission, which is to help, educate, involve, to anyone who loves this beautiful sport. So with that, how has United Soccer Coaches helped you grow over the years, Lloyd? When did you join the association, and what has it meant to you? I was there when Luisa Gastumet created the, the group. We created the group, and we worked first as an independent group. Then we connected with, at that, at then, it was the National Soccer Coaches of America, and now the United Soccer Coaches. We have had a good and an okay relationship, but this year, this time with Julio, they have really helped us big time because they are offering us exposure. They are offering us the ability to give us a platform to go out there. I'm not going to say that before they didn't do that. It's just that we didn't have the people that were very good at using those platforms, okay? But I know that a lot of the people in the groups before benefited from the education they got from the United Soccer Coaches at that time for the exposure. So I will say that, in a manner of speaking, they have always tried to help us to the best, and we always try to do our best, but for some reasons at the time, it didn't work that way. But as you say, with Julio leaderships at the moment, we have done leaps and bounds 
in the way how we have given exposure to the Latino group as well as the United Soccer Coaches because we, after all, we both belong to each other. But at the same time, with this help that they're giving us, it's allowing us to not only go nationwide, but like I said before, internationally. Well, I love that answer because particularly as you think about the climate in our country, better late than never for United Soccer Coaches to step up and give you this platform, right, Lloyd? Now we're heading in the right direction, correct? Yes. If we keep going this way, the end of the universe, it will be the limit with what we, the Latino coaches, can achieve and what the United Soccer Coaches can get from our partnership. So pleased to be joined by Lloyd Orbina, who is the Assistant Technical Director for the Massachusetts Youth Soccer Association, and he's part of our five-part series of Heritage Month with the Latino Soccer Coaches Advocacy Group, courtesy of Julio Serrano. This is part four. Lloyd, when you think about coaching and helping coaches and young players evolve, what does that do to your heart, Lloyd? What, what do you love about it the most? For a coach to become a better coach, he needs to understand that education is the first and utmost responsibility of a coach. I mean, we all play soccer, and we all started because we play soccer. But sooner or later, we need to understand that if we really want the kids, the athletes, the high school kids to become better players, to become better human beings, because it should be coaching. It should be not only the sport, but it should be a holistic thing. It should involve all aspects of life. I read once that a coach has more chances to influence a person than perhaps a parent. So we as coaches need to understand that power. The better we educate ourselves, the more effective we're going to be not only to teach sports, but to help that boy, that girl, that young man, that young woman to become better athletes and better people, to become more productive for the sport and not only for society. So for me, is coaching education. The second thing for me is being a good role model. The way how we conduct ourselves, the way how we speak not only to the players, to the parents, the way how we act on the sideline, that is to me very important. Because people have the tendency to be more like they see you being, that more than what you say. So those things have to be connected. The last that I'm gonna say, but it's not the least, is your message. What is your message as a coach? You must show to the players and the parents that you care about that athlete, that you really want that person to be the best they can be, either as a human being or as a athlete. For that, you need to show that you care. Because what is it? Nobody cares until you show that you care. So that, for me, is important. So those three things I would say that coaches need to understand those three things and trying to improve all of them in order to be more effective with the people that they're trying to help to become better athletes and persons in general. Wonderful answer, Lloyd. Great job. Now, Lloyd, two more questions for you. I love that you mentioned boys and girls, men and women, because I know you're a longtime boys and girls high school varsity coach. I know you coach boys and girls, and I like that. A lot of times coaches only coach boys or only coach girls, but you're about coaching anybody that wants to learn, right? Yes, yes. To me, when it comes to soccer, I don't see in the field, I don't see gender. I see soccer players. So to me, it has never been a problem to coach a girls' team or a boys' team because the girls have to dribble, have to tackle, have to shoot as well as the boys. There might be some physical difference there, but still, the six techniques have to be done by whoever you are coaching. So to me, it's, it's, it's not a problem. I, I love to coach, and I will coach a four-year-old team of girls or a four-year-old team of boys, or like you perhaps seen a lot, like, you know, when five-year-olds and six-year-olds are playing, the team might be mixed. You might have a couple of girls or a couple of boys in it. I have no problems with that. They want to play soccer. I will try to do my best to teach them how to play soccer. Finally, Lloyd, we'll end with this. I love the fact that your number one key into why you're involved in the association is education. And I like people that walk the walk and talk the talk. And I see here that you have a Master of Education degree in athletic counseling that I'm sure you use probably more than you even realize. 
when you're coaching? Why was it important for you to go ahead and get that extra degree? Well, it was important for the reason that you said is coaching is not only the X and O's. Coaching to me is a holistic thing. And trying to understand why a person does something, trying to help the person when perhaps it's a stuck or have a problem that cannot overcome, okay? So for me, getting that master's degree in athletic counseling gave me a different view of life, made me understand what mental performance is and how it's attached to the physical performance, made me understand how people sometimes think about themselves or think about others, and this has collaborated for me to enrich my coaching by having a better understanding how the mind works and its connection to the rest of my body or their body. Loy Orbina, the Assistant Technical Director and a key member of Latino Soccer Coaches Advocacy Group, Part 4 of a five-part series, Heritage Month with the Latino Soccer Coaches Advocacy Group. Loy, thanks for all you're doing for the game in our country and for being a connector for everybody. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you very much for the invitation. All right, that was part four of a five-part series with the Latino Soccer Coaches Advocacy Group. Great to spend time with Loy. Coming up next, we talk college soccer D2 style. Stay with us. The United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by Team Snap. United Soccer Coaches Advanced Diplomas have long been regarded as an excellent way to expand your coaching knowledge, advance your career, and improve your player's development. Now, with our blended format that incorporates online and in-person learning, coaches with ever-demanding schedules can earn their diploma in the most time-friendly way possible. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash advanced diplomas for more information. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. As you know, we cover all levels of the game. Been doing a lot of college soccer. Want to touch base with Division II college soccer because they just made it full stop. All D2 programs are going to move to the spring and wanted to check in with a coach at the D2 level about how that is going. So pleased to be joined by Louis Rocco, who was named the head coach of Lake Erie College back on March 1st, 2017. After 10 years at his alma mater as assistant Baldwin Wallace, also in Ohio, Louis Rocco joins me now. Louis, thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Delighted to have you. And first off, tell us how you were alerted that all D2 soccer was going to be pushed to the spring. Yeah, so it was a, a little bit of a crazy time because we were a conference that had kind of been trying to make it work in the fall, and, and our guys had actually – started moving to campus because of the conditions with COVID. The school started to allow people to move in early, earlier than normal. Our school also pushed the start date up earlier than normal. So we had a a few students that started arriving on campus as early as July 27th, knowing that we weren't going to start for a couple of weeks to avoid everybody being in the dorms at the same time. Moving in, we decided to kind of spread out everybody moving into the dorms and on the campus at the same time. So we've had some guys on campus for two, maybe three weeks, and we were going through the weekend. We had all our players have their physicals. We were sitting in team meetings, and then we were in the middle of a meeting, and the athletic director pulled me aside and kind of the last thing we had to do and, and basically said the conference has made the decision, you know, along with Division Two, to push everything to the spring. And so – here we are two days away from the start of preseason. You know, we're having to inform our team that, hey, circumstances have changed and everything's going to have a different look this fall and we're going to be going in the spring. So talk about the adjustments you've made now. Have you been able to see any of your players? Are you doing any training in the fall? What's going on there at Lake Erie College, the storm? We try to follow the NTA best practices for testing. One of the big challenges we face is before we could do anything, We really needed to get every player on our roster and every athlete we had tested. So by the time we were able to acquire the test and get everybody tested, it was Labor Day. And then once we got our results back, we were able to start moving forward, but we had to do two weeks of socially distanced practice. We couldn't have any contact or offense-defense type of stuff. It was basically going through some technical work or fitness, anything where 
you know, we keep the players separate of each other. And once we kind of survived those first two weeks, we were then allowed to resume normal training and kind of take on our non-championship segment. So we've been in it for a week. It's been a challenge. I think a lot stems from more of the recommendations of what we need to do as an institution in terms of, you know, at the end of training, making sure all our equipment is sanitized, making sure we're not swapping bibs with other players. So every kid has to, you know, make sure that the bib that they wear is the only one that they wear and they're not wearing somebody else's. So that's become a little bit of a challenge. I think because it took so long for us to get going and really get into things, I think you can see some of the fitness issues that we've had and just that it's not where it needs to be because for a good really month, we kind of had a bunch of players that weren't able to do anything and they just were able to do stuff on their own and maybe didn't push themselves as hard. So now we're we're just kind of into it, but I think we've got a, a lot of new players and we're just trying to keep things fresh since we have no games. Like this past Sunday, we trained and we try to have an inter-squad scrimmage and make it as official as possible and try to give it that vibe of what a real game would feel like. So we're just trying to come up with, I guess, clever ways to keep everybody engaged because it is a unique time. And then I think probably the hardest thing that we're facing right now is really more the challenge with everybody and where they're at mentally. There's a lot of guys that are just having a hard time with the mental side of things. Just, you know, it's hard to, to get out and see people. They're away from their families. You know, there's limitations on people in the dorm rooms and things like that. So I think a lot of the challenge comes to kind of the roller coaster ride, the ups and downs of how the players are feeling on a daily basis. We're here with Louis Rocco, the top man at Lake Erie College Storm men's soccer team, Division Two. He helped usher them into a new conference when he took over the great Midwest Athletic Conference, GMAC. Before that, Lake Erie was a member of the Great Lakes Intercollegiate Athletic Conference. Take the picture for us. Remind us what the plan is for the spring return. Will there be a championship? Where will it be? What can you tell us about what will happen in the spring? Yeah, so I know some conferences have already come out and announced. As far as our conference, we're supposed to get our official schedule for the spring today. So fingers crossed it comes a little bit later this afternoon. But I'm a little uncertain. I know we've had discussions about potentially playing seven games or potentially playing a little bit more. It looks like we're going to start the official preseason at the beginning of February, and then we'll do like one month of preseason, and then it looks like we'll start the beginning of March, and then we'll try to fit everything into an eight-week time period. We'll have our seven games. We'll have a conference tournament, and then that'll be it. As of right now, there is no championship for Division II men's soccer in the spring that I am aware of. Let's get to know you a little bit better. Louis Rocco, I remember calling your games because you were with the Charleston Battery in 2007 was when the Carolina Railhawks launched. I'm still the voice of what is now called the North Carolina FC. I remember you, good player, then you also spent time with the Pittsburgh Riverhounds. But before that, you started at Baldwin Wallace. Tell us where you grew up. I believe it's Ohio and how you ended up at Baldwin Wallace, your path, and then how you got back there, Louis. Yeah, so I'm originally from Hudson, Ohio, which is just north of Akron, and when I was kind of going through the process of where to go to school, I you know I was considering a few Division One options. And then actually what ended up happening is my club coach, Reed Ayers, ended up taking over the program at Baldwin-Wallace. And I was very familiar with him. I've known him for a long time. And one of the majors I wanted to study was sport management. And essentially at the time, that wasn't a very popular major. Not a lot of schools had it. BW had it. It was one of the the programs that I felt very comfortable at knowing Reed. I knew what I was going to get into, and I was really looking to go to a place where I could make a name for myself and really help elevate the program. I wanted to help create and establish some of that tradition and legacy that a lot of historic programs have, and ultimately that's where I decided to go was to BW. I thought it was a great fit for me, and, you know, I was very fortunate to play for Reed and push me and challenge me, and you know, was able to help get me to that next level. And so when I was graduating, I had the opportunity to kind of go on trial with the Charleston Battery for preseason. was able and, and fortunate enough that they signed me. And once in there, I just tried to do, you know, what I could and, and just tried to work hard and put forth my best effort every day and just see where it took me. Fortunate that about halfway through the year, I started to see a lot more playing time, started to start. Mike Anhauser down there gave me the opportunity, and I'm forever grateful for it. Kind of when my season was wrapping up, my first season down in, in Charleston was wrapping up, I, I remember calling Reed and just saying, hey, what do I do now kind of thing. And he invited me to come back, and he said, hey, you know, why don't you come back to BW, train with the team a little bit, 
you know, you'll be an assistant, so you can kind of help us out. I jumped at the opportunity, and about a week into it, I remember turning to Reed just being like, hey, this is what I want to do with my life. Like, I found my calling. I, I like being around college kids. I got to see kind of what happens on a daily basis. And then Reed and I kind of sat down and, and started working on a plan for me and, and how I was going to go about being a college coach. But for the time being, it was, you know, playing was a priority because it only lasts so long. Basically, every off season, I would end up returning to BW and working and just kind of growing the responsibility and taking on more and more every year. And then fortunate enough, when I became old and broken and my playing career was coming to an end, there was a full-time opportunity at Bowen Wallace that opened up. So Reed allowed me to join the program on a full-time basis, and it was something I was really excited to be a part of and, and help the program and really get into the college coaching environment and I was there for a couple of years before I, I made the jump to Lake Erie to become the head coach. Well, you know what they say, I'm from Ohio, and you can take the boy out of Ohio, but you can't take the Ohio out of the boy, right? It always draws you back, right, Louie? Exactly, exactly. There's just something about this place. Indeed, and Baldwin Wallace, if I'm correct, they have some legendary football programs over the years, right? Yeah, they've won a national championship, and they have actually a lot of ties to the Trestle family. It was Lee Trestle, I believe, who was the football coach when they won the national championship, and I believe Jim Trestle was a GA at the time. So, yeah, you'll see there is a large connection with the Trestle family, and there's a huge support and backing for BW football. So when you found out about the Lake Erie job, how hard was it to leave Baldwin Wallace for you? It was obviously time for you to take that next step, right? Yeah, it, it was time for me. I think, you know, I would had several conversations with Reed about it, and for me it was just finding the the right spot for me, uh, a place where I felt I could – once again, continue to, to make a significant impact and really try to take the program to the next place, a place I felt comfortable at that I thought shared my same values, my same principles. There have been maybe some other opportunities that I didn't feel were quite right for me. And, and when Lake Erie, you know, when I was offered the position, I felt it was the right spot. And I had more conversations with Reed. But, you know, with BW being my, my alma mater and a, a special place in my heart, was very difficult to to tell Reed, to tell the the kids, to tell the guys on the team. And it was hard. It was a difficult time because it's what I've known. It's what I was very comfortable with. But I knew I had to go out and challenge myself and do things on my own. So as an Ohioan, I have to tell you, anything with Lake Erie brings great nostalgic memories for me. I grew up in a cottage uh, near Sandusky, which is the other side of Ohio, but Lake Erie spreads mm -hmm. all across the top of Ohio. Paint the picture of Lake Erie College, Painesville, Ohio. If we rode up on Painesville and Lake Erie College, what would we see? What would we find? I think what you're going to find is we are a small, private, liberal arts school, but I think what catches a lot of people off guard is we are this quiet little suburban college that is much bigger than people anticipate. And I think we've been around since 1856, so a lot of our buildings have a lot of character to them. You'll see that I think we represent Northeast Ohio and just being very down-to-earth, good people, people that are willing to go out of their way to help others. And I think you'll see this college that is really starting to go in a, in a good direction and really start to change and we're excited kind of for the future here at Lake Erie because there is some great momentum and some great things in place that we really think is going to try to elevate our, our program and also the college. But you'll see we're about two miles from Lake Erie, so we get everything that uh, Lake Erie has to offer in terms of got the beaches and some of the food and, and the atmosphere. And so we're just a small private liberal arts school that has a lot to offer. And I think people are surprised by once they get here and they see maybe how big we are, how historic we are and just a variety of options just between some of the athletic programs, some of the majors we have. We're a huge equestrian school, so we've got an entire separate equine center. We're kind of a little hidden gem here in, in Northeast Ohio. Well, that was a great picture you painted there. And like preparing for a game on the Big Ten Network, I dug in when I decided to pick you. And I did learn about that momentum. It sounds like perhaps maybe some reinforcements to your stadium, right, and some big things for the soccer program, which you don't find every day, right? Usually it's the football or basketball program. Louis, what can you share about those developments? Yes, when it comes to our soccer program, I think we're pretty fortunate that we do have a lot of support from administration, from our athletic director, from the president, and we've got a lot of momentum behind us. We've been trending in the right direction, but I think the school also looks at it and recognizes the type of people that we have in our program and that we have really good people 
that do things the right way, make the right choices. We've been able to really grow in, in a couple different ways. And while we've had our first All-Americans last year, we also did have three academic All-Americans. And so from that standpoint, I think we are trending in the right direction. And our school is looking at right now building a soccer facility that will have no football lines on it is really what the plan is. And it'll be kind of soccer lacrosse right smack dab in the middle of our campus. So it'll be a great venue. We're just hoping to kind of get that off the ground. We're hoping we can kind of start moving forward with that project here actually later this week. That is super exciting. Anytime a college can have a soccer-specific field or stadium or anything like that, and, you know, obviously lacrosse, I always count that with it as well, big lacrosse mm-hmm. fan too. That, that is great. I wish you all the best on that. Just two more questions for you, Louie, and we'll let you go and get yeah. back to work. But, you know, being from – Ohio and Hudson, usually you've got the strong connection to the land, to the Browns, to the Cavs and the Indians. Is that fit for you? Yeah, I would. Uh, so I'm actually uh, quite a big Browns fan. And, you know, back in, uh, we'll call it my, my younger days, my parents had an old conversion van and that had been sitting around, and we actually took it and converted it to a Browns van. So we, you know, painted it orange. We actually went on Craigslist and put in a request for a, uh, Anybody having orange shag carpeting and fortunate enough somebody had it in their house, so we just had to go rip it out. But took this old conversion van and turned it into a Browns mobile, and then you know we're down there pretty much every weekend tailgating. So I'm a I'm a pretty big Browns fan. Pretty excited about how the years started off for them, and then having grown up here with LeBron, watching him back and and lead the Cavs to a title was pretty historic and uh, I mean I can remember where I was and that's probably something I'll always remember because it's been so long since Cleveland really won anything so it's just an exciting exciting time to be a Cleveland sports fan the Indians are usually in the playoffs so our sports teams are like I said doing quite well at the moment yeah it's good to see the Browns back that is such a funny story my one of my best friends he was in my wedding his first cousin was Rob Chadinsky who really didn't get a fair shake as the Browns coach but he did the same Mm -hmm. thing as you and Rob grew up loving the Browns, so it was a dream job for him. But he bought a Winnebago and did the same thing, and he's got the Brown Mobile. And he, he's lost a little bit of spirit when Rob got fired, but yeah. you know, when you're a Browns fan, it's in your blood for sure. All right, right. So I want to add this. I see here you I have been a longtime member of United Soccer Coaches. In fact, you remember even the days when it was called NSCAA, and you've got a couple diplomas with them. Obviously, this is the United Soccer Coaches podcast. What has made that organization so important to your development and growth, Louie? I think one of the things that I've really enjoyed is when I, I attend the convention, and I think when I first started going, you can see kind of where my growth has gone as a as a coach because I remember when I first started going, you know, I was going to a lot of the field sessions, just picking up little things, listening to all the different coaches come in and, and present and just picking up little tidbits. And now when I go – Yes, it is a huge networking event and it's getting to see a lot of the coaches I know, but how that's kind of transitioned into maybe going into some other areas. So I know I've attended a few more maybe lectures or seminars about the psychology side of sports, a few lectures about the principles of play and, and what different clubs are doing at maybe MLS and then how we factor that into our program here at Lake Erie. But you can just kind of see just by attending, like I said, that convention just where you know, we return with a lot of great ideas and a lot of new concepts, and it's just so much information. And then online, usually we're checking things out, and I get the emails, and we usually pop online and, and look at some of the, the different things that are presented to us through the emails or through some of the different things that just come our way. It's a huge resource of information, so we just try to take advantage of it as much as we can. But I do think it's just that part of I can see myself and where I'm going as a coach and maybe more how – developed I am and, and where my trends tend to be and where I'm going um, is what is really exciting because I think, you know, attending the convention has been a, a huge part of that. Great answer. Great way to finish. Love talking to fellow Buckeyes, Louis Rocco, getting it done at Lake Erie College, Division Two. We welcomed his team into a new conference. And, Louis, great to get to know you. Great to spend time with you. I remember you as a player and love that uh, you're getting it done at Lake Erie College. Thanks so much for being on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I enjoyed the conversation, and hopefully the Browns continue to do well. (laughs) Indeed. All right, we're back with more right after this message. 
college coaches. Make sure your program is registered for the 2020-21 College Services Program. While the 2020-21 season looks much different than any of us anticipated, we are committed to providing benefits for college services members year-round. The College Services Program supports and promotes the college game, including rankings and awards for participating programs, regardless of when your season is played. For more information or to register your program, visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash college. Welcome to Big Ten in 10, Big Ten women's soccer in 10 minutes. I'm Dean Linky, along with former All-Big Tenner Hannah Davison from Northwestern. And right now we put the spotlight on the Iowa Hawkeyes. That means a visit with Dave Diani now in his seventh season after winning three Division II national championships in five years at Grand Valley State. And Chloe Lacasse, who all four years during her time at Iowa, that's right, all four years she led the Hawkeyes in scoring. She's still getting it done in Portugal where she led the league in scoring. Hannah, Dave, and Chloe, great to be with you all. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Dave, starting with you, just talked about what you did at Grand Valley State. I feel like this is about the time when you said Iowa was going to start making strides. Last year, a great year. You're building something special there. Well, we had a great year uh, in 2014, the first year I was at Iowa and got to the Big Ten final and unfortunately couldn't get into the NCAA uh, with the RPI. But we had a great year last year, won uh, 15 games and, and got ourselves to fifth in, uh, in the Big Ten and then got into the NCAA tournament where we unfortunately lost in the first round to Kansas. So uh, really happy with the culture uh, that we've been creating and kind of building in the last couple a couple years and we're in a good place to be able to build this and have a little bit of sustainable success here in Iowa City. You just touched on it. You guys had such a great season last year, making runs in both the tournaments. What has been the main focus for you guys this past offseason to prepare for another great season? Well, a lot of it is just creating sustained success, understanding kind of why we were successful last fall, the little details that occurred, whether it be on and off the field, fitness level, attention to detail in terms of training, investment into the game. And, uh, you know, and I think ultimately is getting getting the talent that is needed to be successful in the Big Ten. So it's not about reinventing the wheel, really. It's just about continuing the process and building on that process and talk a lot about uh, success breeds success. And uh, once you have success and you know what it looks like, you don't want to ever, you know, uh, be in a place where that's not the case. And you know that during your time at Northwestern, your four years there. So a lot of it is just about creating good habits and building off that. We got a couple Canadians here today. A is Dave's from Canada. Chloe's from Canada. Chloe, I got to admit, I don't remember you ever even coming out of a game. You started every game when you showed up in Iowa and then Dave got there. You made that great run the one year that you were under Dave. You had an amazing career in Hawkeye land. What did your time at Iowa mean to you? It was definitely such a special experience because coming from Canada, it's harder for players there to get opportunities in the United States and especially for such a big university like Iowa. I think I was just really honored to be there my entire four years and it was so special to me and I always wanted to show up and I wanted them to know that by choosing me, I would represent the Iowa Hawkeyes in the very best way that I could. And you definitely left your mark on the Iowa women's soccer program. I think Dita alluded to, you tie, were tied for first in points, second in goals, and second in game-winning goals. But not only that, you were known for your character. And all four years of your career at Iowa, you were nominated the team MVP. What does that mean to you to have that respect from your teammates? Obviously, it's special. Like, like I want people to know that my work ethic will never be questioned. And for them to choose me to be the MVP for four years, it really put value to that. And it made me just feel really good and appreciated by the team, of course. Yeah, that's super impressive. I don't think I've ever met a player in my career who has been that dominant and had an impact like that all four years. And then to be able to take that and play professionally, how well do you think that the Big Ten specifically prepared you for your professional career? The Big Ten and the University of Iowa definitely gave me the tools to be able to play professionally and not only play professionally, but sustain it and be successful within my career. I mean, just everything I learned there through my four years really gave me like a springboard to be able to be successful in my current career. 
Dave, I don't know if it's because she's Canadian or just because she's a superstar, but you have tracked her proficiently. You know all of her stats, what she did in Iceland, what she's doing in Portugal. You've kept a close eye on this young lady. Yeah, super stalker. No, um, <laughs> you know, I'm pretty proud of her. I mean, I know that, you know, Ron Rainey is as well and everybody else who, who is, uh, you know, was able to spend time with Chloe, you know, at the University of Iowa and, our sports information people were asking me about her the other day is has the league started and how is she doing? And is she still, still scoring goals? So we used, uh, we used some of her goals the other, uh, this spring for our, our forwards to, to, to represent, you know, the nuances of the game. So we're, you know, we're very proud of, uh, that she came from the University of Iowa and is a, is a, is a Hawkeye and Hawkeye for life. And, you know, we're here to help her in any way we can. And uh, by her continuing her career and being as successful as it is, she's helping us uh, holistically as well. Chloe, when you see Dave on the screen, what do you remember about the one year with him and his coaching style? Hmm. Um, it was definitely interesting because we had such my senior class, there were so many of us and we were a very overwhelming group to say the least. There's big personalities. And then we had Dave come in. We were like, okay, we didn't really know what to expect. Right. Because all of us, we just didn't know. And we were so confident coming in all these seasons that we were just growing and growing. So we were excited to see what Dave could bring to the table because we were all so eager and willing to learn and grow. And we knew that Dave had a very good resume and that he did very well where he had coached previously. So we were just, we were excited about the opportunity and we just wanted to prove to him what we could do as a class and what we could do as a team. And Dave, when you think about all the exciting moments in Chloe's career, I know you guys maybe only overlapped by a year, I believe her senior year was your first year coaching, but thinking back on her career and all the great moments that came with it, is there one specific moment that really stands out to you One goal or game winning goal? It was pretty easy to see how, how talented she was. And, and again, Chloe, you know, references a really great senior class, which she had a great group that helped her with that. But the two games against Penn State, I think was a big deal, you know, the year before I got here and seeing her uh, knock Penn State out, you know, essentially, um, you know, on her own, one versus three, one versus four encounter situations. But ultimately, and Dean alluded to it earlier, it looked like Chloe, Chloe was like an iron woman, never came off the field, you know, like in a lot of situations where we had to play, you know, we had to play in different formations, you know, that year to eke out 15 games and get to, you know, get to fifth place. And uh, a lot of times she was the lone forward playing up in those spaces. And so for her to be able to never really question like what we were doing, um, maybe in her mind she was, but to not question what, why we were doing it, you know, soccer IQ is pretty high for Chloe and I had a great deal of respect for that. And to be honest, that was what I took from it. Not, not her competitive spirit, not her leadership qualities and what she did on the field, but she just, you know, in the end of the day, had a respect for what we were trying to do and saw it as well, kind of through a coach's mind and coach's eyes and kind of was all in on what needed to get done to try to get the victory or the result we could. You had a ton of victories at Grand Valley State. We mentioned those three national titles in your last five years there. Talk about how your experience at D2 prepared you to make this step to D1 in Iowa. Well, a lot of it, I think, was about just understanding what the foundation was needed. I, I'm not a, I don't think that you can cheat the system. I think you have to build it the right way and and do and do it with the right people who are invested in the process. And certainly, talent is talent matters, especially in the Big Ten when all there there are a lot of goals that are one goal games and uh, or a lot of games that are one goal goal one goal games and ties. So it is about tactics and it is about growing in that process. But it, it is about, I don't think you can cheat the system. Talent matters, investment matters, and uh, and you got to grow it the right way. And I think once you get the right culture, um, it, it becomes a little bit more sustainable, uh, you know, and, uh, and to be successful from year in and year out. Finally, Chloe, as we look at Dave, you've heard the expression, where's Waldo? I want to say, where's Dave Diani? The man's lost 40 pounds. He looks amazing. He looks like he could go out there and take you on, Chloe. Your comment, and then Dave, talk about your secret to success. It's just Iowa. It's the corn, you know? Yeah, exactly. what they're eating over there. It's that I'm not <laughs> eating the corn. That's the thing. Secret to the success. No, I just, uh, the pandemic, to be honest, the pandemic, I, you know, I, you're stuck in, house, in the house. You work out a little bit more. You get a little bit of a, a regimen, and uh, you can only be on Zoom so much. So trying to work out a bit more, and it was time for me to jump back into training with the Iowa girls rather than just watch it from the sidelines. 
Well, you look great, Chloe. We're so happy for all your success. I loved watching you play. I love the fact that you were an Iron Woman. You never left the field, and you always delivered the goods. That's Big Ten and Ten with the Iowa women's soccer team. I want to thank Hannah Davison. Of course, I want to thank Dave Diani, Chloe Lacoste. Keep getting it done, okay? Thank you. Looking for ways to improve your training session? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for more than 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential to every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to elevate your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. I want to thank all of our guests as well as United Soccer Coaches Sean Chevrolet, Mike Knipper, and the entire gang. For each and every one of them, I'm Dean Linke. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. To learn more, visit unitedsoccercoaches.org and teamsnap.com.